Brendan O'Connor on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Timber Living Log Cabins. For your perfect workspace, living space or hideaway, timberliving.ie. Always look on the bright side of life. Always look on the light side of life. That is, of course, Monty Python's Always Look on the Bright Side of Life. It's one of the many eclectic pieces of music that Ireland's longest serving senator has selected for his funeral. But fear not, because he is, of course, very much alive and live with me in studio this lunchtime. David Norris, how are you? I'm fine, thank you very much, Dervla, and it's lovely to be here. It's lo- and lovely, and I know that is um, one of the selection pieces for uh, your funeral, but before we get to the spectacular uh, celebration of your end-of-life party, I want to bring you back to 1944, the year you were born, in Leopoldville, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, you moved to Ireland as a very small baby. Why was that? Why did your family come here? Well, my, my uh, mother came back. Uh, with my brother and myself uh, across the U-boat infested seas and we were attacked by Stuka fighters Uh, and my brother remembered the sound of the Akak shells landing on the the, the deck of the the boat. It was the SS Copacabana. Wow. (laughs) And you you came home, I suppose, in in difficult circumstances because your father, um, who had served in both World War I and II for the British Armed Forces, he he died when you were very young. He did. He died when I was five and a half. And yes, he was a, a hero. Uh, I mean, he got the Marine VC in the First World War and a knighthood from the Belgians in the Second World War. Uh, and uh, my mother was very proud of him. Yeah. Was yeah. it difficult for you, come, for your mum and even maybe for your extended family that perhaps there wouldn't have been a, a warm reception at that time to the fact that your father had served in the British Armed Forces? Was that a difficulty for you? No, you, I, don't no? Think that, I don't think that made any difference mm-hmm. at all. Uh, we went, first of all, to my grandfather's house in County Leash, uh, and then we came up. My father bought a house in Balls Bridge. Oh, fantastic! Yes. Yeah, and because we're talking about music, I wanted to ask you about what is your earliest memory of music? You know, did you play an instrument? Where was it a musical family or? Yes, I played the piano and the recorder. Uh, And I had a wonderful music teacher, uh, the late Lily Huben, who had been Alfred Cortot's demonstration pupil uh, in uh, Paris in the 1920s. And uh, uh, he was a pupil of Leszczycki, who was a pupil of Frédéric Chopin. So there's an apostolic descent. And of course, I loved Chopin. For the piano, he's the great master. So you're sort of trained by Chopin, kind of, from yes, a distance. Exactly. From a distance. And, and was it something, like, I mean, did you play music intensely as a young child? Yes, I did. Um, uh, I, I got a gramophone and uh, an old wooden gramophone and I, I played records yeah. on that. Your first pick is uh, The Coolin, which of course has been recorded by so many artists, but it's by the Dubliners. Why is that, I suppose, one of our most important Irish airs, um, so important for you? What is it about The Coolin? Well, it is very Irish and there's a kind of melancholy about it. And there's a wonderful recording by Geraldine O'Grady on the violin as a violin solo. It's absolutely superb. 
Yeah, it's absolutely and, and highly contested. No one knows there, there's, does it come from the 13th century, the 16th century or later on. But in any event, it doesn't, event, matter. We it doesn't have matter. We have it. We own it. So let's play a little bit of Uncoolin. love the Coolin. I love playing it and there's so many different uh, versions of it. Um, we haven't even started and already the texts are coming in. Uh, I love Sender Norris. He just puts me in a fantastic mood every time I hear him on the radio. He has such amazing uh, stories. But how very kind. Yes, not very kind. There'll be plenty more coming in. Don't worry, I'll try and get to some of them. I want to talk to you about this. You know, there's so much science and studies now about um nostalgia and the power of music, particularly with nostalgia, to transport us back to happy places, maybe somewhere in our childhood, you know, you could still be rocking away just because of it triggers all these memories. Well, I wouldn't be rocking away. Oh, I'd say you'd be rocking away. Oh, no, no. Except I I do like the Rolling Stones, but my taste in music is is largely classical. Uh, And also Russian, the music of the Russian Orthodox Church, I think is absolutely beautiful. The hymns of the Great Lent and this is just beautiful. Well, you're a bit rocky because one of your next choice is Blue and the Blues, which is by the original uh, Dixieland jazz band. And I'm interested in why you picked this, because this was first performed professionally in 1918. So it was performed before you were born, what is so evocative or why did you reach for that when, when we asked you for your top five? Well, my uh, great friend, uh, Michael Morn, whom I've known for 77 years, uh, since we were two years old, uh, his father uh, had danced to the uh, original Dixieland Jazz Band when they came to London and, uh, in 1919. And he had a record of them, and I just fell in love with the music. It's improvised five-part counterpoint. It's just absolutely brilliant. I don't think anybody could do it today. Will we have a quick listen? Henry Ragas on the piano. He died in the flu epidemic of 1918. 
And uh, so that's one of the last records that he made. And I think it's beautiful because you very rarely hear the piano. Mm. It's almost a part of the percussion. It keeps the rhythm going. It's a going. percussion instrument. Yes, it is. But uh, here you have a s- s- kind of little piano breaks, which I think are beautiful. I li- and it just, uh, for our listeners at home, you were just dancing away, booing away. Oh, I away, just love it. Jazzing yeah. away in the chair um, there. Bring me back to uh, David Nurse, back to your early um, school days. You know, what was school like for you? Obviously, homosexuality was still a crime at that time. But what was your earliest memory of difference, of being different? And how did you navigate it as a young child? Well, I hated boarding school. You know, I, I didn't like it at all. Uh, and then when I escaped to high school in Harcourt Street, it was just so wonderful, liberating. And, I mean, the teachers weren't there to inflict knowledge on you. They were there to share their love of, of the subject. And, and that was wonderful. I had a marvellous English teacher, the late Jack Cornish. Uh, and he, he was wonderful. Never raised his voice. Never once did I hear him raise his voice. He'd just say, if somebody was misbehaving, he'd just say, are you unwell? (laughs) You've such a vivacious personality. Were you hiding that part of yourself, your life as a teenager? My sexuality? Yes. Well, no, I don't think so. I told my friends about it because I started noticing they were taking an interest in women and I thought this was all wrong. I couldn't understand it. I said, you're, you're, you're making a big mistake here. <laughs> I was the one making the mistake. <laughs> um, we fast But I wasn't a pansy at all. No. You know, I was a very good rugby player, a good swimmer, a good tennis player. Yeah, all those sort of things. They, but obviously then when you got to university and then later when you, um, you know, initiated the campaign for, for equality, then it did become very prominent and did become very, very politicised. Yes. Like when I look back now, it, did you realise that you and others were being incredibly brave at that point in time? No, I don't think so. I, it was great fun. I mean, the whole thing was, 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 was great fun. I mean, my solicitor was John Jay, mm. and he was a very serious-looking man with deep jowls and all this solemn expression, and he was sending me down notes, and everybody thought it was legal points. It wasn't. It was violently obscene caricatures of the judges. David <laughs> <laughs> Norris. Do you know what? I, I, I remember as a young student in, in law school reading about your historic uh, cases and obviously uh, a, w- a win ultimately that w- was on a number of losses, including in the High Court and the Supreme yes. Court. And I had the opportunity um, in an earlier part of my career to meet Garrett Cooney, your senior counsel, who opened your case in the High Court with the words, my client is a congenital irreversible homosexual. What was it like being in court and at the centre of such a landmark constitutional action? That was terribly funny because uh, the newspapers the next day reported rising to his feet in the High Court, uh, uh, Garrett Cooney SC told the court that he was an irreversible homosexual. (laughs) Garrett went absolutely crackers and demanded a retraction. So the next day the headline was, I am not a homosexual, says uh, Cooney. And everybody over the breakfast marmalade and toast was saying, well, his eyes are very close together anyway. There, but for the grace of God, having been a court reporter, I empathise and sympathise with those people uh, who did that. Um, uh, I want Before we get to that, I want to bring you to your next song, which is The Ballad of Joe Hill. And this is about the uh, was a Swedish-American um, labour activist. 
Many people pick this song, particularly um, if they are Labour activists. What was it about this? Did, was, did this inspire you politically? What was it about um, Joe Hill? Yes. It's, the Ballad it, of Joe Hill. It's, um, it's a wonderful song. It's a song of the vibrant uh, trade union movement mm. and the right of people to have trade unions, which, of course, in America was very difficult uh, at that period. And uh, they they killed Joe Hill, but uh, the song recounts how his spirit goes marching on, and I think that is wonderful. Yeah, well, we have a quick listen. We'll line it up there. I dreamed I saw Joe Hill last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe says I Him standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I ain't dead Says Joe, but I ain't dead And that's the great Paul Robeson. I just forgot to mention at the beginning, yeah, that's a stunning version. A wonderful, wonderful man who fought for freedom all his life. When you were younger, were you aware of... um, being politically active or becoming an activist or was it just something that naturally... No, I wasn't at all. Uh, except my grandmother brought me down to Sandy Mount to vote for Noel Brown, oh. who became a lifelong friend of mine. Uh, I admired him enormously. A very courageous politician. Yes, wonderful man. The first person to raise the question of homosexuality in the doll, and he was laughed out of it. Yeah. He was, but look at the legacy that he has left in so, so many um, Oh, people areas. all over and Ireland love him because he cured, he eradicated TB. But his activism, his advocacy exacted um, a personal toll on him. Um, that extraordinary documentary we saw um, earlier this year. Can I ask you, now I know you had a lot of fun and your your nature is to be vivacious and to be positive, but... Did going to the High Court, the Supreme Court and ultimately the European Court of Human Rights and then finally when um, the we had decriminalisation in the 90s, that must have taken some sort of a toll on you personally. Well, I don't think so, really. Um, but I, I didn't have that much of a role in it. I mean, when we got to Strasbourg, I, I wasn't allowed mm. to speak. I, I didn't. I it's had, just legal argument when it gets there. Just legal yeah. argument. But I think that's wrong because I think the voice of the individual is very important and they shouldn't forget that. Yeah. I suppose it's just the, the, the process by which uh, when cases eventually end up. Well, in we Europe, can change processes. Yeah. Yes. And, but you've used your voice consistently throughout your care. And one of the uh, reasons, it's just interesting, some of your choices and referencing um, the Russian Orthodox uh, music. Can you talk to me about your relationship? with religion, which, you know, various religions historically have had very strong opposition to issues such as um, same-sex marriage. Mm. But religion is very important for you. It is, yes. I I am a believer, uh, I hope, uh, and uh, the the Dean of St. Patrick's, the the Reverend uh, Morton, William Morton, 
called round and gave me Holy Communion the other day, which was extremely nice of him. I appreciated it very much. So, look, is it? Do you have a relation? Do you distinguish between religion as an institution and religion as your kind of your personal relief, your personal relationship with the God? Yes, I do, because religion as an institution has has played a a, a very damaging role in human history, uh, and that is acknowledged by the Christian churches, I think, pretty well uh, nowadays. Um, and has so it been a constant throughout your life, or have there been times when you've rejected religion? No, it's been a constant. Yes. And it's a comfort, obviously. For it is still. very much so. As I say, nobody knows, but we hope, and that's all we can do. Do you believe in an afterlife? I do. Where do you think you'll end up? I haven't the slightest <laughs> idea. <laughs> in <on> RTE, <laughs> being interviewed by you—that heavenly for us, forever <laughs> and ever and ever, Amen. That sounds like hell, David. Listen, talk to me about. I've just I was thinking of religion and actually uh, the Pope's recent. Um, I suppose, decision to allow the blessing of same-sex marriages, yes. which is a huge, big change. We haven't seen as many advances for women just yet. But do you think um, organised religion is changing? Yes, I think the Pope is a wonderful man. Uh, I, I think he's enlightened. And I think this is an extraordinary move on the part of the Vatican. And I'm sure it was opposed by the Curia. Yeah. who are a malign influence in the Roman Catholic Church. Well, there, are, there are many who would wish a return to the pre-Vatican era. There's no doubt, um, pre-Vatican II era, I should say, no doubt. Can I talk to you about your life in politics? Because we're lucky to get you today. Is it yes. January you're going to be stepping away from... January I'm going to be stepping down, but I've had a wonderful life. I will miss the Senate. Uh, I still have my lunch privileges and I can park my car there and so on and so forth. Uh, but I, I'm... Pleased with my record because, I mean, uh, first of all, uh, myself, John Crown and Sean Barrett from Trinity uh, saved the Senate uh, when Ender well, was they, going they, to abolish they, they, the it. I mean, without us, it would, have, yeah. it would have gone. There's no doubt about it. Do you think the franchise should be extended, though, that others should be? Yes, I do. Yes, yes do. I do. Yeah. But to the universities, not to, not, not to technical colleges. I think that would make it too broad. It would be unmanageable. I mean, young people wouldn't have a chance in hell of getting in. I think others might beg to differ. But well, they might. Whilst I have you still here, when you're talking about a life... But I would yeah. also like to say that among, uh, things that I've achieved in the Senate were uh, the what creation of the Foreign of? Affairs Committee, uh, which we didn't have on. We were unusual in Europe in that we didn't have a Foreign Affairs Committee. And I started an ad hoc committee, and that lit a fuse under Charlie Hawhey. He saw the way the wind was blowing, and he established a Foreign Affairs Committee, and I was put on it with my very good friend, uh, Michael D., who's now our president, and an excellent one. When you look back on that um, longevity and that career, um, in any life, professional, personal, there's setbacks, there's comebacks, there's victories, there are defeats, there are glory days and there are hard yards. What have been the, for you, the highest and maybe the hardest parts of this incredible life you've led? Well, I, I don't see much of it as being very hard. Um, there's a lot of joy, you know. I mean, I sit in my dining room and look, look, look out into the back garden and I have little feeders for the birds and I watch the birds and I absolutely love them, the, the little common sparrows, although they're not so common now. We're doing so much damage to the environment. And what was a, 
what has been challenging for you in life? Well, I, I suppose just being alive is, is a challenge for everybody every day, you know, and uh, nobody actually knows whether they're going to wake up in the morning. But what keeps you going? You know, what has, made, what has given you this, this extraordinary... Well, a love life? of life. I enjoy every breath that I breathe uh, and uh, just to enjoy life as much as you possibly can. It's interesting. I've got lots of questions in for you. Uh, one says, uh, Ina says, no matter how your guest may deny, Senator Norris was extremely brave in his times to do the campaign that he did. And well done. You were the right man in the right place at the right time. Well, thank I've, you very much. I've forgotten that this is a, a music interview. So I suppose I may go on to um, an issue that you have previously raised. And I'm fascinated by the fact that you have planned your funeral quite well you've been like a divine dj selecting the music selecting the tracks you're going to do your uh, own eulogy your fourth pick is haydn i've i've i I took a bit of liberty and decided to pick something from the nelson mass but why haydn well haydn i'm not quite sure but uh, there were suggestions that we had some kind of family connection with the Esterhazy family in, 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 in Hungary. And they were the patrons of mm. Haydn. So partly for that reason, but it's also so very beautiful. Oh, it's I funny. mean, that Baroque music is just absolutely wonderful and heart-wrenching. Let's have a little bit of heart-wrenching. This is Haydn. You, you might need to get tickets into this um, funeral, David Norris. Uh, Jane and Wexford. Oh, says, I do hope so. Yeah, get a ticketed event. We could have it for you. Jane and Wexford says, We wish David all the best of everything for the new year. I'm a big fan. Sandra says, I'm thoroughly enjoying listening to David Norris. He's one of the most intelligent, interesting people, and I could listen to him all day. He is a breath of fresh air. Another says, I've such admiration for this man. What a lovely, brave, positive life he has led. What do you think, David Norris, or what would you like um, your legacy to be? To have made life a little bit better for people in in Ireland. Uh, You know, um, a little while ago, I was going across O'Connell Bridge and I saw two lovely young men holding hands. And I thought, that's a resolve far. That you were part of that? Yes, that allowed them to live the yes. the lives that they want to lead. You, you have been um, 
planning your funeral for a long time. I'm so impressed by your attention to detail. I have it all worked out, including the, the, the little <clears throat> order of service uh, and also uh, what I have to say about my beliefs, uh, which I have printed out in case people can't hear because the acoustics in the cathedral are, are a bit wobbly. St. Patrick's Cathedral. St. Patrick's, it? yes, absolutely. Um, I, I love St. Patrick's. I've been going there since I was a small um, child. The the I don't know if you can give us a preview of the eulogy because you're quite the showstopper, but even that process of writing that, and I, I heard previously that you were going to play it from the coffin. You're, you're going to scare the living daylights out of everyone else. <laughs> so, but, but, what, what, well, what's even it like worse, to I was going to appear by a hologram in the pulpit. Oh, thank goodness you've given people my, notice my, of that. My sister-in-law burst into tears. <laughs> when she heard that so I decided I'd better withdraw That process though and, and a lot of cultures do that of imagining um, your death or what would you would leave behind mm. when you did that process of writing the eulogy was it gratitude for a life for a life that is has been well lived and is still being well lived Yes I've been very lucky uh, in my life I mean I've found love and uh, with three people, uh, one of whom is still alive uh, and kicking, (laughs) (laughs) which is very gratifying. Um, So I I think I've been terribly lucky. And uh, but I I think you also contribute to your own luck in the sense that you have to respond positively to opportunities. I mean, a lot of people get opportunities and they're hesitant or they're worried or they don't want to commit themselves and so on. And I think that's a mistake. What advice would you give to the younger generation? Because in a sense, you're the father of the Shannad is passing on the baton to a younger generation and they have their own challenges. They may be very different to what you faced as a, as a young man and, and as a young politician. What do you say to them or what do you think of the... Well, to thine own self be true. But apart from that, I think it would be an impertinence for me to give advice because the challenges they're facing with this increasingly computerized uh, micro dot world, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not competent. I'm, I'm, compu- I'm totally computer illiterate, even though I did one of the first advertisings for computers. This is a fact that is quite well known about you, uh, David Norris. Is Miriam still uh, my, running your life for you? Oh, Miriam is just absolutely wonderful. I cannot say enough positive things about Miriam. She's not only a colleague, uh, but she's also a very good friend. She is, and she's been... And by, I adore her. By, by your side for so long. I'm Just when I'm gay, because otherwise her husband would be madly jealous. <laughs> or, or, or he'd be very concerned. Um, I love your choice. I actually thought you were going to maybe, given everything in your life, you were going to choose My Way as your last song. But your final choice, David Norris, is... Uh, Edith Piaf's um, Je ne regrette rien. And what's really interesting about this song was that that wasn't the original title. Was it not? No, no. What was? It was Je ne trouverai rien. I will not um, find find anything. anything. And she wasn't the original um, person that Charles Dumont had in mind to sing it. So, well. by the t- but when he realised it was going to try and pitch it to Edith Piaf, he changed the name. She's the perfect Je ne person. She's the perfect person because it is really 
a triumph of the will, a triumph of survival of the human spirit, because she was quite delicate. She had all kinds of terrible her- uh, uh, health problems. And she shooed them away when they first came to it with her. She made them wait for several hours. But uh, I'm available for really random pub quiz questions uh, at any time. But why <laughs> why this song, Je ne regrette rien, David Norris? Well, because I think that's a good philosophy. You know, not to regret. People, uh, people in Ireland were, were accused of having the backward look. I think that's a mistake. I think we should look ahead and look positively on things. We should indeed. And actually, just actually looking at Shane McGowan's funeral recently, which was an extraordinary celebration of life. Is that the way we should be doing it? Well, I, I didn't see his funeral, so I, I really can't comment on that. But I think mine will be distinctive. I think it will. Um, before I let you go, Dennis and Cork um, say... <laughs> Noel says tell David his funeral sounds brilliant I can't wait and then he says tell him that's a joke and then um, another uh, Dennis in Cork says uh, I want to applaud David for his courage in championing gay rights in the 1980s and beyond I was a university student in the early 1980s when gay men were being brutally assaulted and murdered in the streets and parks of our cities thank God that Ireland is now a different and fairer place for gay people David has been one of the most important agents of that uh, positive change that is Dennis in Cork I'm so glad we got to preview all all of this and to share your very, very eclectic uh, sense of music, uh, David yes. Norris, as always. It's been wonderful. And I'm going to say goodbye to you to the glorious strains of Edith Piaf with Je ne regrette rien. Thank you for Thank joining me. Thank you very me. much, Javla. Email brendan at rte.ie.